Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Hey, if you were a guest with us here today, if you, can, if you uh, don't normally attend Vine Life and you came to uh, worship with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. Can we give a huge round of applause to anybody coming in? And then uh, also, man, 18 people today, 18 people getting baptized. Come on, let's just give them a wild applause. <laughs> what a morning. Defining, defining day for me, baptizing my son, my firstborn son. And then finding out a few minutes later that my brand new nephew was just born into the world at the same time my son is being baptized. And so, wow. <clears throat> Don't you love, too, just how everyone kind of gathers around the baptismal waters as everyone's going? See, it's really important that you guys understand that when we're baptized, we're not just baptized into an isolated life with God. We're baptized into the family of God. We're baptized into a people. We're baptized into this thing that we are together, this community of faith, the people of God. And uh, come on, if you, if you guys know any of the people that got baptized this morning, these children that are taking a step, these, these ones who are older who are taking this step, you know, after the service, make sure you high five of them, you hug them, you keep in contact with them, ask them how it's going with the Lord because they're taking a step into a new life with Jesus. Amen? Amen, amen. Hey, it's a good day to be alive. I got some, I got some appropriate clothes on. Yeah, exactly. You'll listen to me now. You wouldn't have listened to me before. I'm just joking. Hey, if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. You can go ahead and click on your phones if you do that thing. <clears throat> and, um, man, I love, I love this week just reading through the resurrection stories. And if you're familiar with all the, the resurrection stories in, in the four different Gospels, one of the things I love about the Gospels is... They're all a little bit different, if you guys noticed that. Um, see, yeah, the Gospel of Mark, there's just one angel in the tomb, you know, when uh, everybody shows up. Uh, in, in the Gospel of Luke, though, there's two angels in the tomb, right? Two is better than one. But Matthew, he, he has a little edge. There's only one angel, but the angel's sitting on top of the stone. Like, oh, hey, guys, how's it going? Just waiting for people to come and show up, right? And then in the Gospel of John, we're back to two angels, but then you add a gardener to the mix. But guess what? In every single story, in every single one, even with the differences, even with the nuances, in every single one, the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. Let's try this side over here. Every single version of the story, the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. Yeah. So come on, somebody pray for resurrection on this side of the room. And uh, I love, I love this, this gospel of John. That's where we're going to go today. Um, I titled this message, A Tale of Two Gardens. <clears throat> and we're going to come into this passage 
Right after Mary discovers the tomb is empty, she leaves. She tells the disciples. She goes find Simon Peter and John, the one whom Jesus loves. Don't you love how he adds that into his own gospel? Because you can do that if you're writing the Bible. Jesus loves me, and so what about it, right? Additionally, he outruns Peter, right? And so they run to the thing. He says he outruns Peter, which I wonder if you just added that in there because he thought it would be funny. And so they, they get to the tomb and discover it's empty, and then they leave. They go home. They go begin to tell everybody that the grave, the grave that they thought was filled with death is totally barren. And the next passage, verse 11, this is where we'll pick up. Mary's still there. She's still there. All the disciples, they come, they go. But Mary's still there. It says this, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she stood, as she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Amen. And I love, again, when we start looking at the nuances of these Gospels, how oftentimes when we read through these passages, we, we see little details as interesting, but rather, rather inconsequential. And so after the two, she visits the two angels, the two angels speak to her. It says that she turns and she sees Jesus, but she didn't know it was Jesus. And John adds this little detail, supposing him to be the gardener. He asked, she asked him, where the body of Jesus was. And see, that's, it's a line that we've probably, you've probably read before, supposing him to be the gardener, but I, I don't think we should be too quick to move on here because what I, what I love about John especially is he tells this story. He always parallels what happened at the beginning to what's happening now. Old Testament, New Testament. And so as he writes, he's writing words to invoke a new imagery and a new imagination. And, and there's, this, there's this principle called first mention that happens in the scripture and in these gospels where when a word is mentioned, the reader would then recall where they first heard it in the whole, the whole narrative, the whole story. And so when he adds this detail that Mary supposed him to be the gardener, it was not just a mistake on Mary's part. What John's saying here is there's something going on here that's coming full circle than we never saw before. There's something, there's something happening here that is much bigger than we thought. 
And so when the first readers hear this word gardener, they're wondering, where did we first hear about the garden? Where did we first hear about the garden? And so we, we enter into this whole journey, even reading the resurrection, and this, this version of the resurrection where what happens is our imaginations are taken back to this first garden. And the first garden that God had in mind happened to be in a place called Eden, where he would fashion, he would create the whole world, then he would fashion Adam and Eve to, to, to walk with him, to know him, to live intimately with him, to be, have nothing withheld, complete connection, total open conversation, no distance, no delay, right? A world where, where man would walk with God in total intimacy, nothing hidden, no deceit, no disruption, no discouragement, no depression, none of those things. And it was a, God, it was a world that God had created from the beginning. He made us and he made this world not to be at a distance, but to know us and to walk intimately with us and us to walk intimately with him. That was plan A, and it was plan A from the beginning all the way to the end. And so... As, as Mary is supposing Jesus to be the gardener, what's supposed to happen inside of us is to then be invited back into a story that started at the beginning and now is being resurrected again, that just as Jesus walked out of the tomb, his full intention was to restore this garden that was always supposed to be. And as he comes out of this grave, as a gardener, what he's doing, he's coming back into a place saying, listen, I, I came to bring life. I came to take anything that was meant for death and to sow it into the ground and for new life to spring up from this place. See, Mary was 100% wrong and 100% right at the same time. She mistaken him as a gardener, and indeed he was a gardener because he came out of that grave to launch Project Garden 2.0. And so we see that Jesus is buried in a garden, which I think is just amazing. Because it tells us what he's up to. It tells us what he's still doing, what he did then, and what he's still doing today. Amen? And so here's, what, here's how Paul talks about this. In 1 Corinthians, I'll read this passage from a message paraphrase in 1 Corinthians the way Paul refers to this whole thing, he talks about Jesus as the second Adam. We had a first Adam that God created to steward the earth and to, and to, to be fruitful and to multiply. And, and Adam and Eve, as we know, they were deceived by a serpent who came and, and sowed, sowed lies about who they were, about who God was. And, and, and things were fractured at this point in time. But there came a second Adam whose name was Jesus Christ and he came to set all things right. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty one. Paul talks about it like this. He said, there's a nice symmetry in this. Death, death initially came by a man, and resurrection from death came by a man. Everybody dies in Adam, and everybody comes alive in Christ. But we have to wait our turn. See, Christ is first, and those who with him is coming, the grand consummation, when after crushing the opposition, he hands over his kingdom to God, the Father. He won't let up until the last enemy is down. And the very last enemy is death. As the psalmist said, he laid them low, one and all. He walked all over them. When scripture says that, he walked all over them, it's obvious that he couldn't at the same time be walked on. 
When everything and everyone is finally under God's rule, the Son will step down, taking his place with everyone else, showing that God's rule is absolutely comprehensive, a perfect ending. Jesus came. Jesus came to do what Adam could not do. Where Adam would have failed, where Adam stumbled, Jesus came to do what Adam could not do. What was lost in the original garden was regained in the garden of resurrection. You see, the Garden of Eden is where death was introduced, but the Garden of Resurrection is where death was overcome. The Garden of Eden is where identity was stolen, but the Garden of Resurrection is where our identity was recovered. Feel free to shout me down if you're starting to connect with this. So you can wave a hanky even. I don't even care, man. You can can wave something. Garden of Eden is where intimacy was was lost, but the garden of resurrection is where separation was eliminated. The garden of Eden is where Adam hid in shame, but the garden of resurrection is where Jesus was displayed in glory. The garden of Eden is where the lies of the serpent were believed, but the garden of resurrection is where the head of the serpent was crushed. The garden of Eden is where We were commanded to be fruitful, but the garden of resurrection is where we're invited to be fearless. The garden of Eden is where we became less than what we were created for, but the garden of resurrection is when we became more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. So Jesus came to get back to his gardening, which is kind of a funny picture, but not really. See, even Rembrandt picked up on this. He has this painting. He painted this version of John 20. And uh, you can't quite see it in this, but you see Mary and the two angels up on the side, and you see Jesus here. We can get a close-up on Jesus. You see, you start to notice something about Jesus. Jesus has a a long-brimmed hat and a shovel in his hand and some pruning shears tucked into his belt. Goes to show that even Jesus wears a bonnet on Easter seems kind of silly, but until you realize what Jesus is still up to, you see, we make a mistake when we think the resurrection was a one-time event. It was the launch of an unfolding, of a movement. Project, Project Resurrection came when he walked out of the grave, but it was this unfolding that we're caught up into today until the, the realization of God's future is finally made manifest in, in the heavens and in the earth. And we're somewhere on this continuum he resurrected to get back to the work of gardening. You see, resurrection was not an event. Resurrection is a person. And Jesus, Jesus said this himself. In John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And so Jesus walks out of the grave in a place of death and starts to breathe life. He has a first conversation with a woman who's weeping, asking her, why are you weeping? And this is exactly such a Jesus-y thing to do. Because as soon as he walks out of this grave with a shovel in hand and a hat on his head and some pruning shears tucked into his belt, he's, he's ready to get to work. He's ready 
He's ready to look for every single place of devastation, desolation, destruction, depression, discouragement, any bad word that starts with D. (laughs) And he's about to plant some seeds into these places because he believes in what is happening. He believes because he is the resurrection and the life. And he invites all who believe in his name to begin to have those same seeds planted in their life to bear fruit they've never seen before. And so he starts moving out and life starts springing up in unlikely places, right? She likes that. But the thing is, it was hard for Mary because, you know, it, even before she supposes him to be the gardener, she didn't know it was Jesus. She didn't know. Why would she, right? She's, she's in, she's, she's, she's there ready to tend to a dead body. And then, and then here, the living Christ comes up and she doesn't recognize him. And I mean, I wonder how often it is for us, even in these places, where Jesus is coming to plant a garden and plant some new seeds, and, and we don't recognize that he's standing right in front of us, ready to get to work. And we're wondering, well, where, where is Jesus in the midst of us? And he's, he's right here. He's ready. He's ready to do something new. He's ready to get something going. She didn't know it was Jesus. And it's, it's interesting because when we look at places of devastation in our lives sometimes, we look at these places of confusion, these places of loss, it's hard to see how any, anything good can come of that. And again, Paul addresses this later on in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. Again, in the message paraphrase, it says this, some, some skeptic is sure to ask, <clears throat> show me how resurrection works. Give me a diagram. Draw me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? If you look at this question closely, you realize how absurd it is. There are no diagrams for this kind of thing. We do have a parallel experience in gardening. You plant a dead seed, soon there is a flourishing plant. There is no visual likeness between the seed and the plant. You could never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it don't look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes up from it will be dramatically different. And this is, exactly, this is what's happening in baptism. It's this recognition. I'm sowing my life into the ground to come up into a brand new kind of life. But this it's is so important that we get that the seeds that we entrust with God, those seeds of loss or those places in our lives that don't quite measure up, it's hard to see how they sprout into anything new, into anything different. But Jesus invites us as he is the resurrection of life to say, listen, when your life is falling to the ground, yeah, the world calls that failure. But I say it's the start of resurrection. It's the start of something potentially brand new. And Jesus says, listen, if you can believe, if you, if you believe that I'm for you, that I love you, if you believe in my name, then resurrection awaits you. It doesn't matter what's happening to your body. It doesn't matter what's happening to your life. You will never die when the resurrection of life comes inside of you. It's a place of trust. And it's a place of faith. It's believing that God has a future even though I don't see a future here. And it's a place that's it's, it's difficult to tend to sometimes for some of us. But it's why the good news is still good news today. 
It wasn't just good news on, on a day. It, it's, it's good news for all time. It's every day we wake up to a new realization that the news is still good. It's still pretty good. And I came across this photo of, of a man in Syria this last month who in a place of devastation. You guys know what's happening in Syria. There's outrageous things are happening in the world right now. And I came across this photo of a city being destroyed and a man, he's an ex-football player. His name is Muhammad Atea. He's 31 years old. And in the face of this, these devastating circumstances, he decides, I'm going I'm to plant a garden. I'm going to start harvesting seeds. I'm going to do this. And I saw this photo and, and I realized... Gosh, I don't know his story. I don't know what's really going on in this photo. But I, in me, prophetically, I just saw this is what Jesus is up to in the world right now. Jesus is on the hunt for these places where we're thinking, can anything good come of this? And the moment we realize that, the moment we come and we surrender to that, he said, all right, guess what we can do now? We can plant a garden. We can spring up new life in this place. And some of you know what that feels like to come to the end of yourself. It's important that we know that resurrection only means something in the context of Friday, of the crucifixion. A lot of times we want resurrection without any of the stuff in, in the middle. Let's just get straight to Sunday. Let's just... We'll just, you know, we'll get through the Friday stuff, the Friday and Saturday. Let's just get back to Sunday as we can get our hands back up in the air and the whole thing. No, 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 no. That's not the Jesus way. The Jesus way is not to avoid death. He doesn't avoid death. He doesn't sidestep death. He goes straight into the face of it. And he looks at it in the eyes and he punches a hole through the other side. He didn't avoid the grave. He went straight into it and says, I'm not afraid of you because this is not where I die. This is not the end of the story. I've, 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 I, the room I booked was a, was a tomb with a view. <laughs> that stone will be rolled away. I will have a window in this tomb here. I will be able to get out of this thing. But he didn't, he didn't walk around it. He walked into it and then conquered it. And so why, why, are, do we, why are we so afraid of death sometimes? See, the thing is, believers, when things happen in our lives when we lose things. We lose jobs. We lose relationships. Things don't seem to, to, fall, you know, to come together sometimes. We, we freak out, God, where are you? And God says, listen, I'm, I'm not avoiding these things. I'm right in the middle of this with you. And if you'll pay attention to me, if you believe in my name, I promise you that resurrection is not far. And this is important that we get. And if you've ever experienced what it feels like to come to the end of yourself, You're in exactly the right place at exactly the right time. Because Jesus is there. In fact, I would even say this. Some of us, you might even be here today. You're at an Easter service because that's what you do as a Christian, right? I'm going to live my life and sprinkle a little Jesus on top. I need a little resurrection fix for the day. But man, you read the Gospels. Jesus is of really little value to people whose lives are already put together and doing just fine. 
Like he, he, Jesus didn't come to modify your life. Hey, let's make, let's make a couple improvements, right? And we've said this before. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Yeah. So you clap for that, right? But let's just remember what we're saying and what we're talking about. That the gospel is about, I am being buried with Christ. When he died, I died with him. And he comes alive, I come alive with him. I'm not preserving my old life and sprinkling Jesus inside. He's not my co-pilot. He is the pilot. Right? And this is something, it's really important that we get even on this day here today that I'm not just adding, he's not just a good option for me just to be a little bit better person. It's like, God, Jesus, I, I have no life outside of what you've done. Right? And so, and so what does that mean? There's a couple things for here, for today that this means. Listen, first of all, if you are in a place where you come in and you're aware, man, I've got a giant question mark over my life. There's things I cannot make sense of. There's things I don't know where they're going. I don't know how any good can come out of this situation. Jesus says, listen, point to that tomb. Did anybody think anything good could come out of that? I am here and I'm going to do it again. Will you believe me? Will you trust me? Will you enter into a new way of life with me? That invitation is here for you today. But then, but then there's others here today too where, man, you've, you've been managing your life. You've been doing all right. But Jesus is saying, listen, I, gotta, I have a new way of life available to you. And, 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 you know, maybe your life doesn't look like devastation right now. Maybe you're doing okay, Right? But maybe you're like me. It's like, man, when you, you're a place like, dude, things are generally okay, but gosh, I know what it means to chase significance in things. I know what it means to chase purpose and meaning and then to be left, just left to my own efforts for my own life. My life is just a summation of my best ideas for me and I'm worn smooth out. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, I'm available even for you. And that's what I love. I love when my son is getting baptized, it's like, he's not, he's not getting baptized in the face of a story of all kinds of pain and destruction and devastation. But I believe that even in his story, even what God is doing in his life, there's a spark there where he's realized, man, I, I think, I, think I, I want to live my life for God. I think God has a better idea for my life than I do. I think maybe I just want to love God with the rest of my life because that's the only imagination I have for how life is best lived, and that's okay too. It doesn't matter where you are or where the circumstances. There's an invitation, and no matter where we are on the spectrum, on the continuum, there is an invitation into a new way of life, into taking seeds from the garden of resurrection and being planted inside of us to bear new fruit and new life for all of eternity. That invitation is on the table here this morning. And I want to invite you this morning. I don't want to miss an opportunity here, guys. We, we cannot miss these opportunities. We can't breeze through another Sunday service without responding to the resurrection life of Jesus. He is not, he is not looking for us to just admire him. Jesus is more than just, oh, that's interesting. It's like, no, no, no. My bones, my very bones have the opportunity to praise God and to live for him and to enter into this new life 
with him. And the invitation is on the table this morning. Do you guys believe that? Life is available here today. Amen. And, and so I, I, I want to... I want to invite I want to invite you this morning. If you're at a place here and you're just like, man, gosh, I need I need resurrection. There's things happening right now that if I don't if resurrection doesn't happen, I don't know. I don't know where this is gonna go. I don't know what my life means. I don't know what all these things I've been through mean. And I And this morning, if you're in a place this morning, I'm going to ask you to be so bold. If you're in a place this morning and you need to know the resurrection life of Jesus in the same way that Mary did when she showed up at the tomb and she's weeping, at the same way uh, brothers and sisters in another part of the, the world are trying to make sense of devastation, if you're looking at your life and that's what your life kind of feels like right now and you need to know the resurrection life and, 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 and you've tried other options, you've tried your best effort, you've tried other people's best advice, you've read all kinds of books, intended classes, but you need something supernatural to happen in your life, I'm going to ask you just around the room just to raise your hand wherever you are. See, look at this, across the room, responding to the resurrection life of Jesus. And if you're, in fact, if you just raise your hand, would you be so bold as to stand up right now? Because I believe that God is here to meet you and God will not leave you where you are. And then, and then equally, if you came into this room, man, and you just know, like, gosh, I, this is what I do. I'm a Christian. I, I, I do this every Easter Sunday. And I've just kind of been doing my thing. And yeah, Jesus is a nice companion, but this isn't quite working out. This isn't what, what I thought it was going to be. And if you're here this morning and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, listen, I am done trying to live my life and invite Jesus into it. I am ready to, to be crucified in Christ once and for all and to live again in this person and the work of Jesus and his idea for my life. If you're somebody that maybe you're in that story, you're not maybe coming out of a place of devastation and destruction, but you're in a place where what I'm doing is not working. I need the life of God afresh and anew I need a rebirth. I need a renewal happening at the core of my heart and the core of my life. I'm going to ask you to stand as well. Anybody, anybody in the room, is that where you are? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Come on, this is your moment. Thank you. And just begin to pray for those who are standing right now. Let's pray together. Jesus, we receive your life here today, God. We gladly say in this place that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And God, I pray for every single person in this room, no matter where we are, 
and whatever situation we're going through, God, I pray that the resurrection life of Jesus is seen and felt and consumed, God, all the way to the deepest parts of our being in this place today, Lord Jesus, that we walk out of this place, Lord God, leaving the old man in the waters of baptism and coming out and leaving this place in the new life of the garden that you're planting here on earth, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, that you've invited us into a new kind of life and a new type of way. And this morning, God, we receive the gift of grace. We receive the gift of mercy. We receive the gift that came to us when we couldn't save ourselves. You came to us and you saved us. You called us out of our grave and you called us into a brand new kind of life, Lord Jesus. In this place, we lift up a shout of thanksgiving to thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Come on, would you just thank the Son of God in this place. And I'm going to ask the rest of us to stand here today. Because here's the other fun part. When, we, when we're talking about resurrection, Jesus isn't the only one doing the gardening. He invites us in. He tells us, go get your work gloves. Go get your own shovel, right? Go get your own stuff because we got work to do. We got stuff to do. We get to participate in Project Garden 2.0, all right? And guess what? There's openings, Today. There's openings to join him in the work of resurrection. How do we do that? We live as a prophetic people. See, sometimes in church we talk about what it means to have prophetic words. But what if we begin to live as a prophetic people, our lives embodying and demonstrating the future world that God already has in mind? When people look at the way we live and say, uh, th- that is a sneak preview of the future. And that's what I love. You're from the future. You know that. You never watch a movie and the first, the first couple... Uh, First five minutes, they call them the coming attractions, the sneak previews. You know, that's what we're meant to do. We're meant to live the type of lives that are sneak previews of a brand new world that God is creating that might not be totally realized yet, but we get to be the sneak previews, the coming attractions of what God is doing in the cosmos, in the heavens and the earth. He's making all things new. He's eliminating death and disease. He's breathing life and goodness to all who call on his name. And to even those who don't call on his name, he wants to demonstrate his goodness in our cities, in our communities, and all across the face of the world. So as we participate, participate in this life right now. We're participating in a resurrection. So every time you serve a meal, every time you hug a friend, every time you compose a song, every time you dig a well, you're declaring that God is not in the ground. He's on the ground. (laughs) Every time you take a risk, every time you bake an apple pie, somebody say amen. Every time you write a poem, every time you ride a bike, you're declaring that God's not in the ground. He's on the ground. Every time you pray for the sick, every time you tuck your kids into bed, every time you write a new song, every time you jump on a trampoline, you're declaring that God is not in the ground. He is on the ground. God is not in the ground. He is on the ground. Come on, somebody. God is not in the ground. He is on the ground. All right, guys, I just have a word real quick for you guys. Friday night, we're worshiping with Kainos in the Good Friday service and had this realization, this, this deepening realization that, like Luke's talking about, Good Friday and the resurrection, it's far more about forgiveness of sins, right? Which that alone is enough to rejoice for all eternity, right? Right? Yeah. right? But it's about closeness. It's about no longer being separated from our Father, The Father sent Jesus down because he said, I will not be separated from you. I will not be separated from you. 
I will not be separated from you. In Romans 8, Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. All right? So I think there's somebody or some buddies here today that need to know you are, you are the created thing. And nothing a created thing can do can separate you from the love of God. Nothing you have done can separate you from the love of God. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter what you've done. Nothing can separate you from the love of God this morning. Can you receive that? If you need that, just receive it. Nothing I can do can separate me from the love of God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, there, our God is a God of second chances. And I know Luke proposed an invitation from the Father for a greater intimacy with Him. But the Father wants to deliver that invitation again because I know there's many of you here that may be looking at this and may be going I don't understand this I don't understand the relationship I don't understand how they know God like that and the fathers here today say it's open because of the blood for every single soul here God is not about the shallow waters He wants us all deep into his heart. He had to shed the blood for us to get there. And this is your second chance. So if there's anyone here that dares to step into the unknown and go deeper with the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, this is your second chance. Because I'm going to pray and impart the deeper intimacy, the ability to hear the voice of the Creator, the ability to commune with Jesus as a friend, and the ability to experience the Spirit of the Father. So if you want some of this, even if you already have it and you want more, if you want deeper intimacy, with the creator of the universe. Lift your hands now. Don't be timid. He wasn't timid on the cross. If he would have been timid, we wouldn't have been here. If timidity would have held him back, no blood would have been shed. So Father, I just ask that you come now. Spirit of the living God, and hit this room with increased capacity to hear your heart, to hear your voice, to understand your voice, and to commune with a Savior. And the Father says, don't come back next year. Come back sooner than Father, we thank you for what you did. Oh, God, we thank you for what you did.
And I release encounter with the blood. Encounter with a Savior. Radical encounter in this coming year for every soul here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.